competitive 40k network presents art of war art of war strategy and tactics discussions with the best players on the planet on the planet with your host paul murphy and expert coach nick nanavati Hey everybody, welcome to part two of our team tournament extravaganza. In this episode, we've got myself, Paul Murphy, and Nick Nanavati. Hello, hello everybody. And this time we're joined by Adam Camilleri. Oh, hello. Adam, you're all over the place. Down under, back on Ottawa, in Australia. What's going on? Soon to be in Europe. Yeah, man, I'm, it, is, it has been a wild, wild ride. But hey, you guys are doing pretty wild as well. You guys have both been at a gigantic Teams event, which I'm very jealous of. I was hoping, I was like, had everything gone to plan, I'd be, I'd be leaving the US to head home or to head to Europe um, after ATC. So I would, have been, I would have been there with you. But it is what it is. I'm happy to vicariously leave through two of my good friends who both did phenomenally at this event. Yeah, well, in addition fun. to... To just talking about the ATC, we're going to talk about how to approach and prepare and then eventually win team tournaments, you know, for, and a lot of, I know formats are different out there, but there are some similarities about how you prepare the attacker defender slash role. If those even exist, we'll we'll challenge that. Uh, And then maybe what, what list choices you may make along the way that are different than maybe what, than what a singles list might be. I'm super excited about it. Team 40K is my favorite way to play 40K, and it really creates a lot of interesting list options because you don't need to have an answer for everything. You can just be skewed, and you see a lot of creativity coming out. Yeah, everyone on yeah everyone on this broadcast right now is a team tournament champion and a team tournament veteran. That's exciting times. It's easily my favorite way to play. Like, not even close. If I could play only Team 40K, like for a whole season, I would be the happiest lad. Yeah, I'd love if 40K became a team sport. Maybe one day. It's getting, I mean, the the amount of events out there are, you know, they're becoming more and more. So this is relevant information because, again, the fun, you can't, the fun level off the charts, the the, the new problems that it, that it brings with, with list and composition and even team composition. I also want to state that it is sometimes an achievement just to show up at the event with your full team. Yeah. Absolutely. It is. It's you struggle together with your friends through the whole process and you, you succeed or fail together and it's all better like that. So let's let's talk with the most recent thing is that uh, Nick and the Art of War team you did win the ATC. We in the in part one we talked to several of the team members and maybe some list choices that they made. Let's talk about the the lead up to that. What what was your process? Let me talk about you because we haven't really talked about your list, Nick. Is that I mean we've made mention to the the trip dance, <laughs> the trip dance, yeah. <laughs> For those who don't know, I brought a triple tantalus bit of a meme build to ATC. I don't want to call it a meme because it actually was quite a monster in the pairings process and it, it, it did win four of my games with it. So I wasn't just trolling people out here, but it was the triple tantalus is something very underexplored and it's something I had never actually put on the table and I just hit the submit button and rocked with it. So very exciting to see it actually panned out um, to support that I had nine units of five racks all with Ignore's cover from the custom covens. They had two liquefiers each, three units of five incubi, Drazzar, Super Archon, and Super Succubus. Nice clean list. Uh, sorry, what was the other part of your question, Paul? I, I said, and what, why did you think that that was something that you even should take? Because I, I don't know that many people would think that it was time to rock up to that, to a singles event. Well, you know what? Let me answer that question by giving you a backstory, because that's how I roll. So the the our team, Art of War, also is on Team America, largely in part. It's not entirely Art of War, Team Art of War, but 
Team America has Richard Ziegler, John Lennon, Mark Perry, Brad Chester, Anthony Vanilla, and then I'm the coach currently. So we a lot of the preparation we've been putting in behind the scenes for WTC, when we all go to Europe, what Adam was just talking about, a lot of that transfers and applies to ATC. So in a way, we've been preparing this through virtue of preparing for that. Um, the difference is this is a five-man team instead of an eight-man team. So with eight teams, you get a lot more, with eight armies rather, you get a lot more variety of, of army composition. Your team has a more coherent puzzle to solve, but you can take double knights and still have a balanced army, balanced team mm-hmm. composition around it, something like that. Whereas like in five-man teams, you really just, your team is what you take and that's that. So we also were considering the fact that we didn't necessarily want the rest of Europe being able to, and Australia, of course, being able to scout out our ATC list and then just assume we're playing that for WTC and be correct. So we wanted to make sure we didn't play our factions the same and our list the same and all that. So for WTC, Richard's playing Admech. This is all known information now. John is playing Custodes. Jack is playing Tau. Brad's still playing Eldar because Brad does what he wants. So we switched up all those armies, which is why Richard was playing Necrons all of a sudden. And Brad was playing... Well, Brad's the same. Jack is was playing Blood Angels, is now playing Tau. John was playing Sisters, is now playing Custodes. Mark, who was playing Eldar, is now playing Necrons. We really 180'd the whole thing. And then I'm the coach in this whole WTC process. So my whole thing was... I could just play whatever from like tricking Europe perspective. And I wanted to, I wanted to be the last person to pick because I wanted everybody else to get the armies they wanted to play for a variety of reasons, I guess. You do want people in a, in a team environment, even if you are taking lists to fill specific purposes, you want them to feel comfortable and confident with the list to get the results that you are intending them to fill. Absolutely. You can't just put someone on an army, even if you have access to it, because... Um, you know, it's a good army for the team. No, you, this is an, a tournament with your friends. You want to make sure everyone's having a good time, playing what they want to mm-hmm. play, enjoying themselves. So that's all that factor in. So I was like, I'll pick last guys. It's fine. Um, and so, what's left that I enjoyed playing was like Drew Kari. So I'm trying to make Drew Kari work. And John, out of nowhere, comes out and he's like, Nick, what about triple talent? So down to 250 in the new points thing. And I was like, that's actually pretty good. Tantalus to 250. Mm-hmm. Why not? And then I was like, where the hell are we going to get three Tantalus? And I remembered, like, a year and a half ago, when I started collecting this Drukari army, I just ordered three Tantalus because I got a really good deal on them. And they sat in a box in the closet for, like, a year. And I was like, it's time. What? What? If not now, then when? So we just hit that submit button. Amazing. I've got some questions for you regarding your, well, a bunch of, bunch of things, firstly. But straight off the top, it would seem almost counterintuitive for a lot of people at home to hear you say, oh, we're going to flip the tail on its head and not take our WTC factions or lists and possibly give up the best practice we're going to get pre-event by not taking the lists or, or for even the factions you're playing to play there. Do you think that's uh, Do you think that's too far? How would you go about justifying that to people at home who may not get the opportunity to play, you know, 10 games a week, which it can be done in the Art of Warhouse, not that it does happen often? Well, really, Adam, that was a whole consideration because the, the assumption until we raised the point of Europe is going to scout us was just play the WTC list. Like, everyone gets better yep. practice, right? Yep. And then I, you know, I actually brought up the whole Europe scouting point. And then we had a whole team discussion, like, is the practice more valuable than the information? And exactly. it, it's a hard 
line to call. I would say for most people in most situations, the practice is better than scouting. And Brad is a great example of that. Brad stuck with his elder. He's like, I want the reps. And, you know, I, I do value using tournaments as practice for larger tournaments. That's a, that's a large part of how I got better and better throughout my career as a 40K player. So if there's a rogue trader tournament or a local, whatever, you know, your local store calls them now, and it's a few weeks in advance of a larger grand tournament that you're traveling to, that you're investing in, definitely try to take advantage of that when you can. And even if you know that you're not bringing the right list for that meta, you can get more comfortable for the meta you're going into. Absolutely. And and this is just that on a larger scale, using ATC as practice for WTC. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, we are in a really unique spot with the Art of War being what it is, a, a physical house that has a bunch of gamers nearby. And we basically decided as a team that we can get the practice in privately. Yeah. And and then not have to deal with that, and it it, it might cost us. Hopefully, it doesn't. Oh, I, I don't believe it would, but it's almost an unfathomable position to be in for for many people out there. Being like, well, I don't have the don't have the ability to not play my list. Firstly, because I I may only play one or two factions, may only have one or two collections of models. Um, so therefore, and I might only get you know the only games I get to play is like this event plus a practice game. Yeah. So it was just an in- interesting thing to unpack. Um, I want to talk about your list specifically. So I'm sure you, I'm not I'm not quite sure. You guys unpacked on on um episode one but your list sits in a very specific realm or sphere in what it provides for a list and it could be categorized as a skew list it could be categorized as an offensive list or it could be categorized as just a really a a spanner to throw in the works of your opponent's game plan how did you guys quantify or use it or wield it in your pairings process or how did you conceptualize it at the build like what was it going to do for you so it did a couple things really uniquely we identified Sisters as one of the strongest armies in the game. A lot of teams are going to bring it. And Sisters are an amazing first defender. You just toss them out there, and they're going to play pretty much anything in the game and get a decent score against it. And we had two answers to Sisters on our team, one in the form of Richard's Necrons and one in the form of my weird Tantalus Drukari build. Um, Being able to fly super far forward and flame... A thousand racks right into the sister castle pretty much melts the sister army off the board. So they have to be very, very defensive, which they can do pretty well. But I'm fast enough that I can outrange the multi melters and just get angles to blow stuff up over time. So the longer and longer they hide behind walls, the more I whittle away their army. And as they try to come out of their castle, I just hit them with the flamer bomb. So yeah, and it's. As a, so then, for what you're saying, it was the spoiler. You put it, to, you you used it to be a spanner in the work. Absolutely, and it was a double-edged sword. So my army, I would say, from a pairing standpoint, basically had a very binary matrix. It was: Do you mm. have enough guns where the Tantalus could just die in my deployment zone? If you do, this is not good for me, or at least it can go absolutely sideways for me. Because it wasn't a let's scrap it up kind of army. It was a yeah. It was a I'm tabling you or I'm getting tabled kind of thing. Two of my matchups I played against Tyranids, both of which were very challenging for me. But in the first game, I was able to play super scrappy and just capitalize on a couple mistakes. I lost that game, but managed to score five points in it, which is actually not bad in that match. And then in the other Tyranid match, my opponent didn't understand my army fully or what I was going to try to do. He actually thought I was going to just run straight at him. So when I played really defensive, as I do... I was able to get a lot more points out of it than maybe I should have, and I ended up with a draw. The other matches, though, three of them I paired into armies without guns, and armies with gu- guns basically auto-lose to this thing 20-0. I have mm. no chance. So 
when you look at the meta, I would say it's pretty evenly split between shooting and combat. Like, as an overall thing, the game's pretty balanced right now. So, Tantalus had about a 50-50 matchup right through all the whole tournament, as far as yeah, what I wanted but, to play. But when you get to pick your matchups, and if you are, let's say, more versed or have a better game plan than your opposing captain, you you might have 50-50 matchups, but you might get a 75% win rate. Well, another part to it is the rest of the team's comp. Like, Brad's Eldar is a singles list. John's Sisters is a singles list. Jack's Blood Angels, he'll tell you it's a singles list. And Richard's Necrons, it's Richard Siegler playing Necrons. That's, he could do whatever. (laughs) So, I had a big, our team was able to just play pretty much anything, which afforded me being the the skew list to navigate myself nicely in pairings, because we didn't really care what happened to the rest of the boys. Yeah, very cool. Well but let's, let's talk about the the strategy of what to put out. So you've got these powerhouse list, uh, great players, you know, which you can learn more about in the coaching or through the, this podcast. So thanks for listening, everybody. But what do you decide to put out first? The way this works, the way the pairings work, is that both teams roll up to the tables. There's 15 minutes to give the pairing process. They roll off. The, the person that wins the highest gets to gets first pick of the tables once the de- uh, attackers have been selected by the defenders. Both captains put up a list uh, as their uh, their first putouts. The opposing captains then place two lists up as an offering for the, that team to pick who faces the list that they put out. How do you decide what goes out first? There's a lot of different ways to handle this. I think who you put out and who you attack with, the pairings process in general, pretty much decides the round before the round has even begun a lot of times. Um, this is like the equivalent of getting the right play and then putting your players in the right spot to do everything. So it depends on your opponent's team's composition. I don't like having a, a formula like this is who first defends, this always first defends, these are my attackers. I think that's very rigid, and you know it's always good to have lines of play and go-to plans and things so you don't have to always be on the fly, but never be absolutely stuck to something. Having having a situation to where you know that maybe 80% of the time this is what we're going to do, and there's a few different factors that play into that, uh, sometimes the, the first put out could be the one that's taking the most severe lumps, and yeah. you need someone that can deal with that, someone that can, can be okay after losing their fifth game in a row, potentially, uh, because everyone else in your team is set up, to just like you said, Nick, to get max points. Team morale is absolutely a thing, and I'll talk, touch on that in just a second, but to answer the first part, for our team, who we would put out, generally speaking, the way I would look at it is if anyone on our team had just like a ton of bad matchups, which thankfully didn't happen this go around, but it has happened in the past where one person's army just got hard countered. They brought a horde, yeah. or they brought an army of hordes, and we brought an army of las cannons. So when that happens, I like to call it taking out the trash, which is basically I'll just first defend with them because they don't have anything positive going on or like maybe one match out of five and it's very hard to, to navigate him into that so in that scenario i'll just try to take their scariest army and just you know yeah. if he's going to lose to everything let him lose to their best army exactly right and so that means it loosens up the matchups down the line right yeah everybody else has a much easier time so like let's identify say necrons are the best army in the game this is just a thought then if the whole team is weak to necrons let our worst player die to the necron so no one else has to Ball on the sword, that kind of mentality. If you have a team that's more balanced, you know, most people have like okay matchups across the board. That's when I try to look at the granularity. Like, 
I, uh, what we do is we create a matchup matrix, and we teach you how to do this in the war room as well. Where basically we have our armies on the left-hand column. Imagine like an Excel table or something mm-hmm. like that. And we have all of our opposing team's armies on the, on the top rows. And between each thing, we draw a line. So it's a grid system. And in each box, like we have Nick's Drukari versus opponent's Admech. And then we can put a score in that box. So if it's a draw, we'll call it a 10. We usually use a 0 to 20 scale because that's a little bit of a relic from the WTC format, but still use it over there in Europe. So 0 to 20 is how we do it. 20 being a total blowout, 0 being I got stomped. So like we'll call it a 10. That's a draw. And, and like this lets you get really granular. 15 is like a medium win. 12 is like I'll beat you, but it's tight. So when you go through and you fill out the matrix and literally we'll sit there and have every person like go through their army list and write a number down and go through the army list and write a number down. By the end of it, we have 25 scores or in WTC format, well, 40 scores and or 64 rather. Then we will have like a visual representation of who's good versus their team, who's bad versus yep. their team, what our weaknesses as a team are, what red flags we got to watch out for. Oh, John can't play against this faction for whatever mm-hmm. weird reason. So Make sure we dodge that one. And when you instead of all, some n- numbers, some teams use colors like red, yellow, green. Yeah, yeah. Uh, some yeah. some way of doing a little bit of pre-thinking uh, once lists are published. Yeah, and um, it one of the the great skills of a team environment. And as um, as competitors, as gamers, um, people have a lot of pride in their results. People want to do well for their team, but the accuracy of that data is the thing that determines good teams from great teams. How, like, if you are going to get stomped, being honest with yourself and putting down you're going to get stomped, or being honest with yourself and saying, hey, I reckon I can beat them, and I'm going to call and say I should beat them, and having that confidence. These are the, th- these are the points of distinction between teams uh, that, that go really far and some that falter. Uh, it can, can just come down to how confident you can be in putting your, your, your pairings data in, because then that informs your captain how to pair you and, and, and how to use you. And when you, I mean, this goes back to the start of the discussion. Like, how do you know when to put up and what to put up? It starts with evaluating your data into said team. If you think that if you think that team is stronger than you, you have to pair differently. If you think you are stronger than them, you have to pair differently. If you think it's a dead even, you have to pair perfectly. Um, it's really quite. It, it's as deep as you want to get with it. I, I love it so much. Well, and let's let's go one step further. Is that the the ego of the individual? Mm. You, you've got to figure out a way to swallow it. Uh, because I mean, look, this is not saying to go play for fun and just like sometimes the chips fall with him or whatever. But if you are trying to win the thing, uh, you want to go into each round with a little bit of knowledge about you know what your strategy is versus what their strategy is because they obviously had one as well. Uh, yep. And then you know sometimes you might have to be honest with your captain is like that's not a great matchup for me. I would, yeah. I'd, just, still, I'd love, love to play the game, but try to try to get the try to fade that, please. Yeah, does any, any of uh, any of that make sense to you, Nick? I think you guys hit like twenty five different nails on the head simultaneously. I was blown away. It's too much information that was gold. Right, let me let me go with it. So the I fully agree. Like you gotta really pair with respect to your players. You know, they have the experience with their army, they know everything. So they they're gonna put the number down. But some people are optimists and some people are pessimists. And the, they can look at the same exact matchup and give you two different numbers. And you have to be able mm. to come to terms with that. And some people are very realist. Some people will just want to be overperformers because they don't want to let the team down. So they overpromise and then potentially underdeliver, which is terrible. On the flip side, some people underpromise and overdeliver, which might make planning hard, but is oftentimes very wonderful. So knowing your team 
really well helps a lot like that, knowing who's who's going to inflate or deflate their scores and how, how much you can trust them. Some matchups remove the ability for players to necessarily play to their capacity. And I mean that especially so in team events. Let's say you have pairings and you both brought Tau armies with four hammerheads, because that's a thing, long strike plus three. And it's just designed mm-hmm. to annihilate knights and things like that. And they pair into each other. That game is 99% who goes first and blew up four hammerheads turn one. Correct. So, yep. you know, at some point it is a coin flip, not a, a yellow match indicating a draw. That's going to be a blowout one way or the other. It's not necessarily your blowout or your opponent's blowout. You're going to roll a die and find out. And there's the, to the accuracy that you can determine that, or if the table dependent matters, that plus your opponent, your player's egos, all of that needs to be factored in. And then to your last point earlier, Paul, some players are really good at different things. Some players like taking it on the chin over and over and being the rock for the team like that and don't mind being in that defender position where they just eat it. And some players don't have good morale when it comes to losing. So if you have a player who, they win a lot, they're very skilled, they're super awesome, but when they lose, that rare time they lose, they, they don't cope with the well. They're kind of a sore loser. They just they don't, they don't it, have good It affects move. the next game. It affects That's the next where they, game. They can't just leave it on the table. And that, that, this is a real thing. It's a real talk for team, and, uh, team tournaments. Yeah, for real. So if you, if you have a player who is pretty good, but he's just going to crumble towards whenever things go sideways, factor that in. You're going to ruin four rounds because he needs to eat a bad matchup right now. No, you're not. Find a different solution. Yeah, dig it. So then, this all this is all going back to the question of what do you put out first? What do you put out first? How do I get so <laughs> off topic with these things? You guys get me going. Uh, no, I mean, no. This is one of the that's, that that all factors into who goes out first. What is your put out strategy? Right, right. It's like I couldn't just give you. Uh, it's always Siegs because it's not. It's all of those factors go into it. But I, I will say, we first defended with Brad Chester. I think five times out of the six rounds with his Eldar. And part of the reason for that is basically Brad, Brad's Eldar, especially being the singles list that it is, can really fight anything. He like He's designed it in such a capacity. He has such a wide variety of reps into the game because he travels so much um, to various different vents and different regions. He knows 40k. He knows his Eldar. And it's not designed to smoke people. It's not a skewed list at all. It's not designed to just 20-0 people flat out. He basically goes plays in singles game with pretty much anyone in 40k. And by putting him as first defender, we can ensure he gets a table that won't get him blown out by, like, guns. And, and, and that's also... Well, I mean, that this is this is where teams goes deeper once again. Like, who needs the table pick, and does the table pick change what is a perceived bad matchup into something that is playable? Some uh, a position where you will get points. I mean, you could be a position where like Brad has the worst matchups of the team, and therefore you think you think you are the the weaker lineup. So you put Brad out first, so he takes the strongest of the ones offered to him. But through table choice, he's still able to get points out of that worst possible matchup, and that's a huge difference in bridging gaps um, between not only player skill but also um, list composition. Um, for those people who may be struggling with certain barriers in teams event, I do acknowledge for those uh, at home who may not be super in teams event there can be a little bit of a ceiling on on um on teams performances like you can uh, butt your head into it quite a few times there's a bunch of team events in australia that are just getting going um you know they're getting going into their second and third years and people are coming for the second and third year with the same team and getting the same results and 
I can simply tell you, teams is something you have to study. Like the more time you put in pre-event, um, you'll actually like reap rewards um, over and above singles. At least in my opinion. Yeah, I'm see- glad you brought up the table choice thing there because that's very important. Like, so we—that's one of the things we did with our night player is that we knew we had to arrange where he was in the uh, put out or defender or attacker process because we wanted a favorable table for it. Mm. Well, but see, um, again, like it gets an even deeper again because if you don't put them out, it's totally fine. As long as the other two table choices that you have for your team take away tables that that player would get stuck on. So you can have yeah, that that's nice right. player so that's where at, the end, <laughs> at the end and completely mess with your opponent's expectations of get, trapping a night player early by having them at the end of the pairings because your Eldar player takes a heavy, or your space, your Blood Angel player takes a medium, and so they've got a medium or a light left, and, you know, happy days. Yeah, there's so many factors to the terrain placement. All that. Honestly, even... Like, you see the success we have at Art of War with ATC and hopefully at WTC mm. and things like that, but... The this is years of, of stumbling and fumbling our way through individually on different teams to learn the experience we have now. So stick with it. It's a super fun process if you're trying to get into teams. But uh, to, as far as terrain placement go, a whole other tactic is also just like first defending with Tau. They put Tau yeah. out, picked a light table with like one rock on it, and it's like, who what wants that? <laughs> uh, it's terrifying. It's it's an intimidating prospect. Um, for for any player, because uh, I think this this ha- this is a um it's a WTC staple play, right? You tell because when you got eight lists, in inevitably you get some rock paper scissors matchup. So why not be in control of that? Get it on a favorable table, and then just even if they put a red or a really horrible matchup into you, you can just be like, well, I went first on the bare matchup, and all my hammerheads got to shoot turn one, and I won the game. You know <laughs> that kind of stuff happens all the time. Yeah, the. I mean, I, I'll say it would happen at ATC. We, I got myself paired into Quentin Johnson's tile, and he had like three hammerheads. He had like all the crisis suits and commanders you want. It was very scary. And I played him with my triple tantalus, and I put this down as a zero. Like, guys, I'm mm-hmm. not coming back with any models, and it's going to be turn two. And then knowing that, I played very unlike myself. We got this matchup because it was better for the rest of the team. The whole plan that round was the rest of the boys will win a game, and I'm falling on the sword because no one wanted Tau. And I recognize very quickly that there is no hope in winning this game if I try to play KG and defensive. And there's that's okay. I don't, my job isn't to win. But I also recognize if I play the defensive game where I let my Tantalus all die and I get my racks out behind the ruins and then I just try to hold on with OBSEC and raise banners and try to steal some points until I have no models left. I recognize that Tao's plan is going to be to score all their points at their end of the game once I have no models left. And I'm not really going to get enough points that I actually get this game close at all if I play that way. So I might turn my 20-0-ing into an 18-2 by trying to play the KG style. So instead, I was like, that's not a tangible difference for my team. I put all the Tantalus on the deployment zone edge, won the roll for first turn, flew 26 inches up with all of them, flamed all of the crew and crew towns and pathfinders off the face of the earth, got all three Tantalus blown up and a bunch of guys inside killed by little crisis suits, and then I charged the entire tower army and actually ended up 20-0-ing him because it was just too much too fast. Oh, oh. So, you love to hear it. There's there's different lines of play. Sometimes you're in a position where you really do want to just take that defensive approach and like dig in, you're gonna lose, don't even pretend you're gonna win, just take your eight, your twelve-eight loss where they 
they're barely beating you very consistently in a singles game. This would be on an awful strategy, but in teams you keep the loss tight, which is very impactful. This was not one of those times, and you got to recognize it. This was one of those times where KG or going second aggressive, same difference. I'm getting nothing. I get the only way I get more points out of this game is if I go first and just go for it. Just love it, back is it, it does change. You got to look at your your arm, what the list that you chose to bring to the event that may determine what your put out is. You've got to deal with player morale, uh, terrain placement, terrain rules, density on the tables, uh, and then you've got to factor in to what your opponents have, uh, and then that will kind of determine what the hierarchy of what that choice matrix is. Of course, also compared to what you think they're going to put out based on kind of the heat map that maybe you you did or did not prepare before you got to the tournament itself. Although, um, during that pairing process, you know, I mentioned that 15 minutes, there is time for your opponents to, to hand you their list, which is what they should do. You review the list for a few minutes with your team. So even if you didn't do that before the event started, you do have a couple of minutes allotted into most of these team tournament events to do a little assessment right there on the, at the table. One of the other things I want to highlight is that during the rounds, you could come up with an idea of how your team's going to do, right? So out of the 100 points, you have to beat your team by um, 55 points throughout all of your games to win the round. So basically, you score 0 to 100, your opponent scores 0 to 100. The difference right there is towards your score and towards your opponent's score. So if I beat you 70 to 40, we're going to add 30 points to my team score and subtract 30 points from your team score. By the end of it, if the difference in our team scores is 55 points... So what you can do is kind of try to figure out how each of your players are doing throughout the team and try to gauge a bit a sense of it. And, you know, Brad's drawing, John's on track for a small win, Sieg's is a robot and doesn't know where the loss button is. I'm getting smoked because Tantalist, that, that was a choice. And Brad and Jack is doing Blood Angel things out there. So I can take that, attempt to translate it into numbers and figure out, okay, we're on track on four tables for a win. Or we have like a draw, a loss, a tight game that we don't know how it's going, and two wins, something like that. And to the degree of win, try to figure out like, am I smoking this thing or is it is it like I'm winning? And try to project whether or not your team is winning the round, losing the round, or drawing the round, just like we teach you to do in a 40k game. But now we're doing it on eight 40k games or five 40k games and collectively scoring the entire round like that. That's really what the job of a coach is and live at the tournament. And then... Based on, oh no, we're, we're winning, so we don't have to take any risk. Everyone just start, keep on winning. Don't, don't mess it up. Mm-hmm. We're drawing. Let's try to push where we can. Maybe the tight games, let's just you know make knowledge that. Siegs is winning over there. Siegs, put the put a foot on the gas. Like We need some points here. Push this draw to a win. Jack, play for whatever you got. Don't take the risk. Even though you're losing, just like do get whatever you can. Minimize. Yeah. Minimize. And... If you're losing as a team and you're projecting that, that's when you're like, go for the Hail Marys. You, make it happen. Make it happen. I need some 20s. Put the Tantalus on the deployment zone. Let's go. Uh, past the first round of the tournament, you've got a decent idea of where you are. Uh, but in a multi-round event, you know you may have to reassess what your uh, victory conditions are. What, what What is now? Reframe what success looks like potentially after the first round. Be prepared to do that. Yeah, I think it's really important to just... Understand team tournaments, getting better at them is a process. No one wins their first one. No mm. one wins their second one. It's, it's a, it's a years-long adventure, an events-long adventure. And yeah. if you're doing it with your friends, you're going to enjoy it. So just keep on getting better at it as the process goes on and, and reestablishing your goals as you progress and make the goals initially to have fun and learn. So, so now let's assume that you've won 
round one. Now what? Now we go to round two. <laughs> Use the time that you have at the event between rounds. Typically, we're going to be, you know, especially if you started kind of mid morning, you're going to be on lunch break at this point. You know, you definitely got to decompress a little bit after the game, but also as soon as the pairings go up or look at the the other winners that score similar to you, you figure out. Yep who you might have a chance of facing and start doing a little bit of that mental work before you get to the table. I mentioned you've got time before the round, but it's only 15 minutes and then you got to get moving. You know, everybody wants to finish the games, of course. And so, you know, the, the, the time you use during that 15 minute, a lot of time or whatever that a lot of time is, is critical, but take advantage of the time that's off the clock as well. Mm. And, I'd, I'd even go further. Like I said, the I really value the time you put in before a team's event. I think it's phenomenally important to maximize the work you put in, like, yeah, before. So when, when lists go live, yeah, look up what top teams, like, you know, go, go, like for the ATC is, is a great example. Check out who did well last year. Yeah. See what they're bringing this year. See how you you think you line up against them. But look at the uh, ITC rankings. You can see some exactly. of the top you know faction yeah. per- participants and and tournament you know overall tournament winners. You can get an idea of maybe what what to look at if you're going to be in that that winners bracket each and every mm. round. You'll get an idea of who you might be facing and and maybe a little bit about of insight about what they what they take and how they take it. Yeah. Um, are you the same as me, um, guys? Like I th- I always think there's um. There's like four or five levels to a team versus t- a, like the pairings process, the, the matchups. Um, there is the um, the lists versus each other. There's the table choice versus each other, which is the second tier up. That's the, as in like you can just pair just based on lists, or if you want to go deeper, feel free to base based on lists and table choice. Then feel free to based on the, the next one after that is. Um, uh, I think it's I think it's faction matchup, as in like um, who's got the strength of secondaries, who's got the strength of um, you know tech. You deep dive their um, their factions. Oh, this guy's got a a no invuln thing. It makes him a lot better against my custodies when it's renegade knights matchup. Blah blah blah. And then the next one above that, like the top level, is when you can pair and do matchups based on the player skill. And you harvest the player skill by doing what Paul just said, going into BCP, going on the ITC, checking out who you're up against, how strong they are. They might be a player playing a very weak faction, but they're just the best player in the world at that faction. You should take that into account if you're able to. Um, and so like, when we said that the teams is, teams pairing is just phenomenally crazy, I mean, I could tell you, Nick, was that one of the reasons that you put down yourself versus Quinton as a zero? Quinton's one of the top players in Florida, extremely strong. Would you have read yourself differently against somebody who you would you knew was newer at the game or you knew like wasn't at one point the, the number one player in the world like Quinton was at the start of this year? Right. No, no, absolutely. I And we used that in that round. Like we identified Quinton as their strongest player. So strongest player on Tau. That's something none of us want to mess with. And my, my matchup with Tau is very binary, right? I get zero, I get 20. But a lot of the other players on our team don't have that kind of relationship with Tau. They can fight for points. They can outplay people, get wins where they shouldn't, that kind of thing. But then none of them wanted it specifically because it was Quentin. Like, Quentin's not going to mess it up. He's going to just mm. shoot me with Tau. So instead of trying to put Brad into Quentin and letting Brad figure it out versus Quentin, we wanted to remove that risk from it and just, what if Brad doesn't figure it out versus Quentin? Now we have Brad's getting zeroed and the plan's not going well because Brad needs to mm. get draws or, or small wins. So let me, who's, you know, I'm going to lose to like half the team anyway, 
with my Tantalus, let me just fall on the sword and definitely lose. And when I say definitely lose, I mean go first and win anyway. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, you still got to so play good. the game. For sure. I think that's a big part of it, too. Yeah, it was, was full-on bonus. I mean, that, that did not factor into... The, the outcome that you were predicting was part of the strategy. And the fact that you were able to flip it is an accomplishment and is great, but having a strategy going into that and, and getting bonus out of that is great. Yeah, let me... Our team would have won should I had scored zero points that, that game, which tells me that the pairings went appropriately. And then the fact that I also won that game and we smoked them is just awesome. Bit of authority on it at the end there. Because <laughs> they got to let them know. But to, <laughs> to your point, Adam, um, I guess also to my point, when I was saying part of why people don't win their first or second team event is, is definitely in part not just because the team format is so different, so challenging, and poses so many new problems you have to get used to. It's because... The players, you got to know the players. Because um, mm. the best teams there do play, do pair player to player. They do all four tiers, as you described it. We factor in the list. We factor in tech. We factor in the terrain. We factor in the as we did with Quinn. We factor in what we know. And if we don't know the players, because it's not realistic, we know all three hundred sixty people at ATC. Um, the we'll just treat you know use the information you have. Don't extrapolate past that. But the more and more you get involved in the tournament scene, singles. Well, Paul was saying chase ITC or like uh, follow ITC, read the articles, go in the war room, all that kind of stuff. The more knowledgeable you become about who's good, what their play styles are, that's a great thing to have insider, not insider knowledge, but have an idea about. Like Manny from the UK, we know what kind of lists he runs. He likes the math hammer. He likes to put put it into people and just end it. So he's not going to be playing the super cagey armies. And if he is, that's a weird combination. You can if, use if it, this if, knowledge. But if it, if it looks like a super cagey army, but it doesn't fit with what you know about Manny, you need to do a double take. You need mm-hmm. to look a little deeper. Is, it, is, he hiding, is he hiding that, he's, that this is a brutal and savage math list behind some other metrics or whatnot? You know? Because uh, that's something that people do. Absolutely people do. Uh, well, so yeah, I had it's a lot really of people funny. actually come up to me this last weekend and they were like, why are you playing Tantalus? This isn't a Nick list at all. Like I literally heard that quote. And you know, traditionally, it's not. I like to play very tricksy stuff, combat stuff, fast stuff. And it is fast and combat-y with Incubi. But what I did was I was able to find creative ways to playing it using like emergency disembarks and clever terrain placement and things like that. So armies can... I even had my six-round opponent, Jeff Bodine. He told me my army was deceptive. Because it looks mm. like a Tantalus army, and then it's secretly a Drakari army. Man, you can't put a price on that into in a team lineup. Just somebody not knowing what your list does. Oh yeah, you know, remember that whole matrix I was talking about? Your scores versus yeah. the other team. They're in theory also creating a matrix, and I guarantee yep. their numbers are different than yours. Uh, that's why you're you having the right numbers. If your numbers are more right than their numbers, you should win if you're pairing appropriately. I'm glad y'all got to this because I was I was going to close this out talking about that with all the variance and all the complexity of what well, we even traditional singles events and and now you add in the team events but you know which also scales on the fun level as well there there is a way to to get more perfect information and that's what anybody wants is trying to figure out a way to how to get that perfect information. Then we roll dice and it can all go out the window. But like even in in other games where there are, you know, there's some some risk and some some luck or variance involved as you know with us rolling the dice or whatever, there is a way to get as close to making the right decision as possible until that variance hits and you're minimizing the variance by all this pre-planning and forethought. 
And if you're listening to this right now, you've already taken some great inroads into staying informed and on top of everything because you're in the freaking war room or you're a podcast member. And you know when you want to stay up to date? You want to stay up to date because Art of War is going to tell you what's up. We're going to tell you what's up. So you're going to get that part of information, <laughs> you know, because you, you still got it. Nothing beats knowing what the factions can do and what they're capable of. That also helps you be realistic about the pairings. Mm-hmm. Uh, we go, we talked about that, you know, with, we, we talked about separating the ego from it, but knowing the capacity and functions of the list, like we were just kind of talking about is huge. And yeah, you're exactly right. You're going to get that kind of information here. Uh, this has been a blast. Nick, congratulations on the win. Thanks so much, Paul. Yeah. Th- you to too, you. As, as well. Your team did very well. We, we did, we did. Uh, so even somebody on the play, uh, our team, Necrons, in the I think we mentioned this maybe in the first part of the show, but Necrons had an amazing showing. I I know that people thought Necrons were strong, but at one point in time, going into the event, the like six or seven of the top ten generals uh, is we're, when we're looking at singles performance for all Necrons. That's wild. Yeah, it was it was crazy Necron domination out there, and I believe Red from your team, Paul, he won best Necron. Uh, he did win best run Necron, second best general by one point. Actually, the person that won best general was an orc player. And this is uh, so there there are team awards, but they also give out a, a individual player perform one individual player uh, for battle points and then best in factions. And the person that won best general was an orc player. I think he dropped a single point over the course of wow all games. See, that's what I mean about knowing stuff like that. You remember that guy's name for next year? Absolutely. And if- yeah. If he's on Orcs again, you're like, mm, I'm not sure. I, I got to make double check my uh, my list matches up. Okay, yeah. And then yeah. you could and even take Red, it further I think two like, you know, the Art Award team one. There's a few other top players there. Follow them. War Games Live is a great way to do it. And just like, you know, they're playing on the stream or something. Watch them play. It's a great way to get mm. better and learn about the competition. Yeah, I can't wait till we call it FTN. I'm going to give Red some... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Dropped two points. Pathetic. <laughs> shame upon this house. Jesus if, if if anybody listening is has not gotten out to a team event yet, and you're considering it, I definitely encourage you to do it. Put it on your calendar. It'd be something that you do. Assemble a team. There are often uh, sometimes players from their own local group can't assemble a full team. There are other people out there in the same situation. So you know, network a little bit through through podcast or groups or whatever and you you may be able to find folks to fill gaps on your teams to make a team to, to get out here it is it is truly worthwhile and if we haven't said it enough i know we've said it a lot it's fun it's something i've been playing in team tournaments for what a decade plus now yeah just and, and never ever regret no this is my favorite way awesome. to play 40k highly recommend can't say it enough get out there well, that's the end of our show, I think. Thanks a lot to the subscribers. really appreciate you tuning in. Let us know if there are some some things about the team environment or if you have questions, you know, that, that it seems to kind of mystified. I, I know pairings and, and table choices and all those things, it's kind of differential in scoring. Those are those are topics that can be explored in great detail. And the, again, the more you know, the better you do. So if there's any of those kind of topics that you want more information on, please let us know. This is also a great place to come for uh, list resources, you know, list help. That kind of stuff. Check out the website if you haven't already to see the full offerings that are available. I've had a blast talking to you all. Thanks, Paul. Take care. We'll see you next week. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under and Art of War Unbroken on the competitive 40K network. TheArtOfWar40K.com.